Welcome to Alumni Voices, a podcast from the University of Oxford. I'm Guy Collander, and every month I speak to a former Oxford student about their memories of their alma mater and life after Oxford. In this podcast, we're focusing on rowing and sporting success. Olympian Zoe de Toledo is here to talk about Rio, where she cocks the GB Women's 8 to a first ever Olympic medal. We're also here about drama on the tideway with the dark blues. As well as spending time on the water, Zoe is a diligent student and she's now studying medicine, her third degree at Oxford. Zoe de Toledo, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. No problem. So let's begin with Rio. How did it feel to win silver in an incredible photo finish? It was certainly a mix of emotions. It started when we crossed the line for me certainly as disappointment because we wanted to win the race and okay the American crew that won hadn't been beaten in well now 11 years but you can't ever hold anyone onto a pedestal and we'd certainly believed that it, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility that we could we could win the race so obviously I knew we'd won a medal but before I switched my focus into the fact that I wasn't actually sure 100% if we'd got silver because the Romanian crew who eventually did win the, the bronze had really kind of snuck up on us from one of the sort of um, farther lanes at the last moment. So I was I was pretty confident that we got silver, but I wasn't 100% sure until it flashed up on the big screen behind us a, a few seconds later. So there was a kind of moment of disappointment, a moment of anticipation, I suppose, and then really relief more than anything, because we knew whatever we did, if we could end up on the podium, it would be historic for GB rowing and hopefully be the start of a new era of of women's sweep big boat rowing so and months a, years of training with, yeah, that, with that crew well f- four years for me with the, the gb senior team but we were in that crew really from february march time was when it, it certainly took took shape and and yeah so it was pretty a pretty consistent group and it was a thrilling race you coxed your crew from last place at halfway to, yeah. fin- to finishing second at the end and, yeah uh, 12 hundredths <laughs> of a second what did it feel like with those those few meters to go I don't really remember. I think you, you don't switch, you switch off the emotional side of things mm. as much as possible because you're just focused on the processes and you're sure. focused on, certainly from my point of view, on what do I need to do to make sure they have their best row and what do I need to do to make sure we get from A to B as quickly as possible. And was it planned? Did you know that you had a very good sprint finish compared to some of the other boats? Had you anticipated that where you would be in the race at those times? We kind of get asked this question quite a lot. Oh yeah, was that the plan to be last halfway? I think if that was your plan, that would be completely ridiculous. We knew we had a fast finish. Sure, And sure. so we'd spent a lot of time working on our start. Mm. And we'd done some really quick starts and quick 500s and quick 1Ks in practice. I think a couple of crews went out over speed sure. in a desperate attempt to try and do something. One of the pleasures of being a cox is that you can actually look into the faces of your opposition, mm. which mm. the rowers don't get to do. And so you can usually see if people are doing something that's sustainable or if people are doing something that is not going to last and I certainly I could see from the the rhythm in the Dutch boat I didn't think that was sustainable right similarly with Canadians didn't think that was sustainable it was the, the Kiwis I was the most worried about who actually didn't didn't meddle obviously in the end and it was very much a case of we really trusted and believed in each other and therefore okay I must admit I didn't tell them we were last at halfway I think I was just telling them where we were compared to the Americans and that we were kind of in the pack but um they never panicked. You know, some of them would have no. known that we weren't where we wanted to be. Most of them would have known we weren't where we wanted to be. They never panicked. They just kept doing what they did well, and that was what 
moved us through the field, you know, in that last, well, 1K, 900, 800 metres, I guess. And that was all thanks to your inspiring words, keeping the morale up. No, I don't think so. I, I mean, <laughs> well, I wish, played a, played I'd a part in say, it. I'd love to say it was, and I think, you know, I'd love to say it was. I think... I think the part I played in it was probably more just staying calm. I think if mm. I'd started panicking, yeah. that might have changed the face of things. Sure. I think this is the thing about coxing, and it's very easy as a cox to, to screw up a race. Yeah. But it's very difficult as a cox to be the factor that won the race right. for a crew. Right. But how difficult is it to maintain your focus and being in the Olympic Village and everything else on such a sporting stage, mm. the world's press and the world's attention on you? Personally, I don't find it that difficult because what happened in my boat race after it was such a disaster and there was so much press attention on it I always thought well actually nothing will ever be as bad as that ever again no race will ever go as badly wrong as that so there's nothing to worry about sure well, let, well let's not dwell on that too long but we let's for some of our listeners who aren't aware so this was the dramatic 2012 boat race yeah. when you coxed the dark blues on the tideway and it had to be stopped the race temporarily because it was disrupted by a swimmer mm-hmm. um, and so what, what 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 are your thoughts about that day now it sounds ridiculous because I've dealt with other very difficult things in my personal life and it sounds silly that just sports would have such a big impact but it does and it does because you give everything so what happened the short version was that we were just past the halfway mark we were something like a stone a man lighter than Cambridge crew one of the last calls I remember making was we're dead level we've survived around the outside of the bend we're going to win this race and then yeah and then we saw something in the water and the umpire started warning us and and then obviously the guy was swimming so in the time between me thinking that and us getting closer he was obviously moving into our path rather than staying stationary uh, and so we had to stop um, and then yeah it was just a very strange experience because previous races that had been stopped were then restarted immediately but I think this was unprecedented and I think my understanding is I think now some of the guidelines have been changed to suggest mm. that wherever possible the race should be restarted immediately rather right. than what we did which was stop for 20 minutes turn around have the whole flotilla of boats behind turn around which caused this wild you know waves everywhere mm, mm. Um, from all their their engines um, and then when we restarted the race we started quite close together because uh, obviously it was now a free start you know there was there was no stake boats no set positions that we were starting in because sure. we were in the middle of the race course and we started quite close the water was quite bumpy and we got to their last bit of advantage bend just just a tiny little bit of bend and I was a bit more forceful around it than mm. the umpire thought the line was and Cambridge took advantage of this and we we had a clash and one of our oars snapped in half which never happens it's not a thing that happens in rowing you know that was game over really you don't beat a crew that's obviously a pretty similar speed to you when you've got seven guys rowing and one guy sitting unable to do anything at the end of the day steering is is my responsibility so a lot of that responsibility fell on my shoulders which was really difficult to deal with well, we'll move on from that <laughs> swiftly. So you commentated on the historic first women's boat race held on the Tideway in uh, 2015. So the first women's boat race on the Tideway mm-hmm. obviously been held elsewhere before. How did it feel to be commentating rather than in the boat where you tempted to make calls from the shore? I loved it, actually. It was really interesting to try and work out how to make rowing, which is obviously a niche sport, interesting to the layman and people with a bit more understanding but I think you know they invited me back and actually then the following year I did the men's race and the women's race and they've said keep the date free but they haven't told me in what capacity yet so I I love it actually I really love it so it's definitely something I'd like to stay involved with but uh, 
it's it's at the mercy of um, whether or not I do a good job, I suppose. Good. Well, let's hope we hear from you uh, in a couple of months. Yes. Yeah. And elite coxing is certainly about taking risks, coping with disappointments as well as the victories. So what lesson does coxing have for life? So many. I think, you know, there's so many things about elite sport in general, but coxing specifically I mean, there's there's the boring stuff. There's the time management and discipline and commitment and not boring perseverance, which I think is very important. Um, as you say, coping with disappointments, um, learning how to deal with pressure, learning how to perform well under under stress. All these things are hugely valuable, not least in medicine. Um, but also communication, management, leadership skills, all these sorts of things that are just hugely variable skills but widely applicable in all walks of life coxing can be miserable because Mm. you spend a lot of time you know you're not getting fit you're sat there in the cold you can be sat there for an hour and a half or two hours at a time cramped up in a little seat you know freezing your bum off but there's so many incredible things that come out of it not least the fact that someone as unathletic as me would never ever be able to win an olympic medal any other way I, I can't yeah I can't really encourage people enough to get involved and as I said rowing's an incredible family and a great community and there's there's uh, opportunities for anyone at any level at any stage in their life you know even if you if you're just starting at university and you haven't found the sport for you give rowing a try you know we had we have olympic gold medalists who didn't start rowing until after they finished university so it's something that is is kind of accessible at any point really and for rowing where better to come than than oxford exactly and also you develop some unique skills many of the skills you would share with the rowers the perseverance the getting up early in the mornings but you are commanding all of them you're it's a it's a lonely role i imagine in certain respects compared to what they're doing yeah you can feel a bit stuck out because you're you're not you're clearly not a coach but you're not fully an athlete you're something in between and I think that's the difficult thing is is striking that balance and you know I I would have conversations with some of my coaches that maybe the athletes wouldn't or I'd be asked for my opinion in in a way that maybe the athletes wouldn't and this is not true of all boats and all coaches and all athletes obviously but you do have to strike a balance there and it's difficult to find your niche I think one of the nice things about this crew from last summer was that everyone had their role to play and everyone knew everyone else's strengths and we really learned how to exploit them and we kind of covered all the bases in terms of personality types and you know racing profiles and anything you can think of we kind of had someone who covered one of the bases and I found myself feeling more part of the crew there than I had done before and I think our coaches felt probably more part of the crew as well which was was a lovely a lovely way to to be with with other people um but definitely an odd role and misunderstood certainly yeah certainly a, an interesting one that it, you know you don't get that kind of experience with anything else really good well thank you very much for putting the record straight for all our <laughs> listeners so there are plans to bring together the 13 oxford olympians from the rio games at an event in oxford in the summer we hope to see you there and hope that you'll be able to meet aspiring oxford olympians and coxes as well as our alumni so now let's discuss your studies. So you came to Oxford in 2010 mm-hmm. to read an MSc in psychological research. And after completing that, you started an MSc in criminology and criminal justice, also at St. Catherine's College. And then last year, you started reading medicine at Harris Manchester College. Yeah. So what keeps you studying at Oxford? I ended up at Oxford Brooks, so just up the hill for my undergrad. But 
after I finished, I really, you know, really wanted to come and study here. And I, I just had this idea from my friends about the, you know, the tutorial system and the small classes and, you know, the depth of study that you get. So when I had the opportunity to uh, apply for a master's degree, I did. And after the first year, I was kind of, I was kind of hooked. And then when it came to applying for medicine, it was, it was difficult. But my other half, Alex, who was in my boat race crew, actually, who also did the grad med course, kind of talked me into it, which is good because I think I would have been kicking myself if I hadn't applied. <laughs> you can't argue with the, the facilities here and the level of, um, of education you get is, is remarkable. And, you know, I know the league tables aren't everything and they're always composed in strange ways, but it's not, it's not a coincidence that the university is constantly appearing at the top of those. So. And can you take us through your the evolution of your academic journey as well? So this is your Ooh. your third your third <laughs> degree your third degree is a different subject every time. Fourth degree, yeah. beg your pardon. So your undergraduate course yeah. at Oxford Brooks. Yeah. Um. So how how was take take us through that? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to. I kind of had medicine in the back of my mind from when I was at school, but I I felt like it was something that only superhuman, intelligent, genius, clever people did. I was really interested in psychology and forensic psychology and criminology and that side of things. Um, so I applied for psychology for my undergrad in the end and and I did really enjoy it. And then when I looked at the um, master's degrees, the psychological research course, I just thought was made good sense. It was good grounding in research. Um, but then I realized the thing that was really attracting me was the research more around the criminal justice system and the criminology course here is is very special and it's partly legal theory and it's partly sort of sociology, psychology and poly science, I guess. And, you know, really interesting course, lots of lawyers. So I was vastly outnumbered by lawyers, but very interesting. And then I went away and spent four years training full time. Uh, with the with the rowing team and that was when um, that was when the medicine calling happened I think I kind of started thinking seriously about well, what am I going to do after this rowing because I could go on coxing forever but you know I want to do something else with my life and I'm pleased to be here because we do focus we do have a clinical focus straight away hmm. and that's what I want to do you know I want to be a clinician um, so it's great to be able to you know from our second week we were in the hospital talking to patients which was remarkable worrying so can we expe- expect you in the hospital immediately after you finish your studies or do you think there'll be another course yet to come? I think I'd probably run out of money soon. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, I, yeah, I think it'd be time to get a job. I think uh, I've avoided it long enough. I'll be in my mid-30s by the time I finish. So I think it'd be time to go out into the world of work and be a high-functioning member of society for once. Zoe de Toledo, thank you very much for sharing your inspirational life story on and off the water. For more episodes of Alumni Voices, please visit www.alumni.ox.ac.uk.